Good morning. If you've got a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Psalms, Psalms chapter 6. I mentioned in the first service, before we get through this thing, all you have to do is tap the front of your Bible, it'll open up automatically to Psalms. We're going to be here a while and we're going to enjoy every minute of it. Psalm 6, I'm reminded this morning, I just wanted to mention it, of just a lesson that God is teaching me, just an appreciation that has been growing in me. Um, for those that aren't always like you, those aren't always like me, I, I wish you could have studied the message with me because you would have greatly appreciated every song was tied in to this psalm, to the points that I want you to see this morning. And I just appreciate the fact that God has given people like David and like Micah the ability to write music and and to write poetry, to express what we're going through in actual life. The ability to be real this morning is a gift. We're going to be real and the psalmist is not going to stop being real with us, but he's going to give us the foundation of our hope. And so all this is just good. God's word is good and God's people are being used in all of our diversity, to bring glory to Him. So I just wanted to, to tell you that. I'm, I'm just rejoicing in that in me, just every, in both services, just singing the music. And so stand with us now. As we read this, we, we see in the, at the top here in your Bibles, should say a Psalm of David. We see that this is to be used in music of worship with God's people. And so, let's hear from the word of the Lord. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, How long? Turn, O Lord. Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So, Lord, we thank you for the honesty of your word, for the power of your word, for the hope of your word. Lord, this psalm touches every one of us in multiple different ways. So, Lord, help us to do the good work that you would give us The gift this morning of repentance and forgiveness. Whether we are actively in sin right now or we are actively being sinned against, Lord, would you 
help us understand what we should do. How then shall we live in a broken world, longing for the day when all will be made right? Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. You can be seated. So this is, if you haven't noticed it already, a psalm of repentance. It's much like Psalms 51, and Micah read that for us. You might want to find Psalms 51 and go ahead and mark it in your Bible. We're going to sprinkle it along as we go. We don't know the context for this, absolutely. Many people think that this was when Absalom had taken the kingdom and David was on run for his life. It fits in a lot of different ways. We're not sure. It helps sometimes with us to think about that, though. As I thought about it, what would I do if my own son had ran me out of town, so to speak, taken over what I was doing and was trying to actively kill me? What would you think around a campfire at night? What would be going through your mind as a parent, as a husband, as a king? Failure. That's what I would be thinking. I've failed in all kinds of ways. My parenting is a failure. My marriage, and in David we would have to put a plural. There's part of your problem. Marriages. Cost my kingdom. Ultimately cost him his son. Whatever the situation, he is keenly aware of something. God is disciplining him. And he, he wants to be, he's aware of it. This is the dark night of his soul. His sorrow over sin that's both coming within him and without. Notice this psalm as we go through. It's deeply emotional, but it's also completely rational. He's not just talking off the top of his head. We're going to see that. But could we be honest this morning? Oh, how don't we need just a little bit of honesty in God's church? Yeah, we all struggle right here. Because listen, we all deal with our sin. And we all deal with the sin that's being done to us. We all deal with it. We just don't always deal with it biblically, right? So no one likes to, by the way. No one likes to deal with their sin biblically. And especially no one likes to deal biblically with sin that's being done to us. That's the danger this morning. A hardness of heart. The blame shifting, the self-deception that hardens our heart, makes it harder for us to repent. There's a collision here in the Psalms. It's at least a two-way collision. It's probably a three-way collision of what happens in our life with the consequences of sin when the conviction of that sin meet each other. It can seem to be overwhelming. Can I give you an illustration not that this would happen in any of our families. But we've got our heads stuck in the ground if we don't think that it can and it has. Let's just imagine the death of someone close to you. I'm speaking close. Mother, father, sister, brother. That close. You're going through in the midst of that and the shock of the death to start with. And all these different emotions. It's raw, real and then someone in your family comes up to you and says something heartless. Just be quiet. 
But they didn't. And at the worst moment in your life, at the most delicate, the most traumatic moment in your life, they stuck a, they stuck a dagger right in your heart. What do you do? You see, that's the moment when the sin that's outside of you can become the sin within you because you didn't deal biblically with what was done to you. You understand what I'm saying? And so we need to understand this two-sided issue of repentance that sometimes it's the sin within us. Sometimes it was the sin outside of us, but we didn't deal with it the way the Lord told us to. And so this just wants to move us. Its intention is to move us towards repentance, move us towards forgiveness, whether we are in sin or whether we are actively being sinned on. Because the reality is, yes, both of it is always true in your life. This is a very practical reality of what it means to live the Christian life. Christians must live in this reality. Yes, I I sin, and yes, those sin against me. But the Lord Jesus Christ has given me an absolute pardon for my sin. We're going to see. Remember, God turned his back on his son. And he did not turn it back until your guilt and shame was paid for. And this has a radical implication on how we should deal with people biblically when they sin against us. And so we see we need all of this. The cry of repentance should bring two things to us this morning. I want you to see in the Psalms. Acknowledgement and declaration. So let's look at it. These first, at least five verses here. Verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. And so there's two words here. Rebuke and discipline. So the first thing we see we need to acknowledge is how, Lord, how the Lord feels about our sin, the Lord's displeasure over our sin, and the fact that He disciplines us for that sin. I know we don't like to talk about this, but this is what he's, where He's at. These two words are used synonymously in the, in the, in the Psalms. Look at Jer- Jeremiah. It's on the screen. Jeremiah 10, 24. It says, Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying God don't discipline me. He's not saying God don't rebuke me. He's saying don't do it in your anger. You see, God's got two rods. We talked about this last week. He's got one of grace and mercy. He's got another of anger and fury. So the rebuke and the discipline of God is his grace and mercy. That's what he's saying. Lord, rebuke me, discipline me, but in grace and mercy, Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't rebuke me in your fury. Why is he saying that? Because when you're in the midst of it, it feels that way. It feels that way. He thought he was dying here. I can't take this one more day. But we see we must acknowledge something. That this is sin. This is not just a failure. It's not just an indiscretion. This is not just a lapse of judgment. This is sin. And we must acknowledge it. Psalms 51.4, remember? David said, I sinned against you. Against you. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Did he sin against Uriah? All those, yes, yes. But ultimately, he had to come to this understanding. I sinned ultimately against my God. And this has an impact on my walk with the Lord when I sin against the Lord. And in his love, he disciplines me. Proverbs 3.12. Proverbs 3.12. Could a little sidebar? Just 
I think this is good. I love to do this myself. No matter what you're studying in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, always lay a wisdom book beside of that. In other words, if you're reading in Samuel, you also read a psalm. If you're reading in 2 Corinthians, read Proverbs. Do that. I think you'll see, you'll continually uncover these biblical principles. Here's one. Proverbs 3.12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. So here's the, the wrath of God destroys. But the paternal love of God, it's got an aim for its discipline. It, it aims with its love. It seems to correct. It aims to correct, to reclaim, to save. That's his purpose. Listen, this must be our purpose in church. If you go to a church or if we don't, if we cease to stop practicing church discipline, we have ceased to love you. And if you don't discipline your kids, the Bible says you don't love them. Because the, God always reproves those He loves. He always rebukes. And so must we. So we must acknowledge that. We must also just acknowledge our need. Look at it in verse 2. Be gracious to me, for I'm languishing, I'm dying. This picture is that He is, he is like a... a a plant, and it's withering away. And he's, what he doesn't want God to do is just reach over and pinch him off. That's what he feels like's happening. I'm, I, Lord, don't do that. I'm dying here. You see, a cry for mercy is also an acknowledgement that you don't deserve it. It is. A cry for mercy is an acknowledgement that I deserve justice. Psalms 51.3 says, For I know my transgressions my sin is ever before me, Lord. It's everywhere. I can't get rid of it. Give me mercy. We must admit, we must acknowledge what we deserve and what we need. We need mercy. But this mercy, this is another acknowledgement. Look at verse 4. It's based on something. We must acknowledge that God's mercy is based on His faithfulness, not our merit. Verse 4 says, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me. For the sake of your steadfast love. I don't know what happened to the word covenant in church. But we must put it back in there. For you see, this is his foundation. It is his covenant love. God is a God of covenant. Went to a marriage, someone in my family yesterday. and The understanding is this. This is a, a covenant of not two. It's not a covenant with two. It's a covenant with three. God is in that covenant. We are bound by covenant with God. And so we are in our salvation. David's saying, listen, I, I please based off God's faithfulness, his loyalty to his people. He has a proved character. It comes, it's affected, it's driven by his covenant, an expression of his character. Lamentations 3.21, it's on the screen. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. You see what he's doing? I'm calling this to mind. I have hope. What's he calling to mind? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see what he's doing there? God's steadfast love is always aimed at restoration, and so that's our aim as the church. It's always pointed towards a restoration of someone that's in sin. But here, so we see, we must acknowledge 
God's displeasure of my sin, God's discipline of me, my need for mercy, his covenant love of faithfulness. But also we need to face reality in verse 2 and 3. Sin has consequences. It does. We must acknowledge this. Sin has consequences. Look what it says. The end of verse 2. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Verse 3, my soul is greatly troubled. I'm in agony. You know what that word troubled means? It means terrified. Out of my senses. What I'm going through is is driving me crazy, God. I can't even think clearly. Help me. This is threefold suffering in this brother's life. It's mental, it's physical, and it's external. Not only is this stress, it will stress kill you. Sin will kill you. You're not made to carry it. You're not. Your body cannot take it. Here's what he says. It's killing me, God. It's affecting my mind. It's affecting my body. And don't you know, you ever seen an animal when it gets hurt and the other animals start trying to kill it? That's what people do sometimes. Others can multiply our pain. Look at Job. Those good friends. Oh, Lord, don't give us any friends like Job. You know, just can't sit there and be quiet. His grief was affecting every part of him. The effect of the sin in his life. This collision had happened by the grace of God, but it didn't feel like grace. <laughs> when, the, when the conviction of your sin and the consequences of your sin, all this start to pile up on you and the pit gets deeper and deeper. But understand something, before we move off of consequences, please don't think that repentance removes the consequences. They don't. The Bible never promises you because you're giving the gift of repentance and he forgives you that he removes all your consequences. He didn't in David's life. He does give you a promise, though. Repentance promises us a restored relationship. That's his promise. That's his greatest gift. But there's something else that it promises us. The guilt and the shame of that offense will be removed. Not the complete memory of it. The guilt and shame of it. And listen, you know when this happens. If you're angry about that thing that happened at that funeral, and you do biblically forgive that person, the anger and the animosity that came with that will all of a sudden be gone. And until it is, you have not biblically forgiven. You see, the devil hates this. He hates repentance. He hates it. That's why most churches don't talk about it. The devil attacks it. I, even He may have even attacked your life, and you didn't even know it this week, because we were headed towards this text. He hates it when God's people walk in repentance. So I say, we need to repent. More. Every five minutes, if we find ourselves sinning every five minutes. Use it. Use the gift God has given you when you wake up in the morning. I woke up this morning, and I said, forgive me, Lord. What Christ paid for on the tree. But listen, we must acknowledge sin has consequences. And sometimes it can appear, Lord's gone. Where's he at? Seems like the Lord's apparently absent from this situation. This is what, look at the end of verse 3. But you, O oh Lord, how, how long? You see, there's some delays there. But you, O oh Lord, how long? Never going to end. Turn with me to Psalms 13. This grabs what he's trying to say here. 
For David, in the midst of this darkness of his night of soul, there seems to be no end in sight. Psalms 13.1 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Oh, this is why we go to the Psalms. Because you might not be able to be real with anyone, but you can go to God's Word. It's real. You see that? This is how he feels. I'm in this pit. I feel like God's not there. God's delay is always about maturing his people, not destroying them. I don't know if we have any left. Um, this is a really good book. It's called When the Darkness Will Not Lift. It's written by John Piper. It says, Doing what we can while we wait for God and joy. It's a very thin book. It's just good. I read it last night before I went to bed again, just reviewing it. It's a good quote here. The quote's about drawing, trying to draw deadlines for God. Can't speed him up. God's not going to get in a hurry. He delays as he sees fit. Listen. And his timing is all loving towards his children. All that we might learn to be patient in the hour of darkness. I don't mean that we make peace with darkness. We fight for joy. But we fight as those who are saved by grace and held by Christ. That's good. It's what we fight with. We fight, yes. But we don't remember whose we are. We acknowledge how it feels. as It does. But we also remember, verse 4, steadfast love of Christ. He can't forsake me. You see, it is in that moment of depression, of despair, that we acknowledge that depression cannot heal itself. It can't. This is an acknowledgement that I need my God to lift me out of this pit because I cannot lift that myself out and no one else can lift you out either. Only God can restore the joy of your heart. Only God can bring back the joy of your salvation and take the guilt and the shame away. It's His gift to His children. Listen to this, Spurgeon. As God's absence was the main cause of His misery, so his return will be enough to deliver him from his trouble. This is what he knew. All God has to do is turn. He's weary as he acknowledges this. And you need to too. He's weary of this sin. He's weary of the sin within him and the sin that's being done to him. He's weary of it. He's, he's tired of his crying. Look at verse 6 and 7. I'm weary of the moaning. That's last week. Remember that sighing? Every night my bed's full of tears. My couch is full of tears. It's wet. My bed's wet from weeping all the time. My eyes, verse 7, look at My eyes are even sunk back in my head because I've been crying and in grief so much. It's overwhelming me. What are we seeing here? Sleeplessness. Uncontrollable weeping. Depression. This is where he is. I'm weary of this guy. Maybe good for us to go back and read Job, especially the end. Job's accusation to God and God's response to him and Job's response to God. But we need to be weary. Acknowledge it. Can I ask you a question? Does the Lord des desire to destroy or restore? 
I'm going to come back to this. But I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians 7. Do you, do you remember the context for Corinthians? Never have really understood when I see somebody's church named Corinth. <laughs> I'm like, I don't believe I'd name a church Corinth. <laughs> Corinth had issues. Remember 1 Corinthians? Sin within the church. And Paul not pulled no punches. You don't believe in, you don't want to believe in church discipline. Just don't read 1 Corinthians. <laughs> but they had. They heard it. They responded to it. Here's what he says in his second letter back to them. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Listen, this is, this is like life-changingly important here. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Listen to me. Do you know that there is a wrong way to grieve? There's an unbiblical way to grieve. And the Bible loves you enough to say that if you do not grieve biblically, you will die. It will kill you. There is a grief that's meant to lead us to repentance that leads us to rescue. Another thing that's very helpful. Do you know that Jesus understands your anguish? This is encouraging all by itself. This is why we must never stop studying the life of Christ. John 13, 21, do you remember, is at the Lord's table. Do not forget our Lord Jesus' humanity. That he loved Judas. He poured his life into him. And it is Judas, Judas who betrayed him. Listen to what he says, verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. You see, Jesus knows what it feels like to be sinned against. He does. He goes on to the garden, remember? Matthew 26, 38. He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but you will. It was not possible, and it did not pass. He walked to the cross. Father forsook him, and the wrath of God was poured on him so that we may not walk in our sin or in the pain of the sin of others in our life. He paid it on that tree. That was grace. And so we must see the correcting hand of God in our life and the maturing hand of our God as grace, grace, and only grace. The Lord desires to restore, not to destroy. And He proved it on the cross when He slaughtered His own Son. So we don't know how long between verse 1 and verse 7. We don't know how long. We don't. That God gives no promises and David didn't tell us. All we know is in verse 8, a dramatic shift happens. A radical shift from acknowledgement to declaration. All of a sudden, he says, depart from me, you workers of evil. 
The Lord's heard me. So look at verse 9. How could he, what would he say, verse 8? What's going on here? What changed it? From being down in this pit that says, I'm dying here, I'm shriveling up, to this renewed confidence. Look at verse 9. The Lord has heard the brokenhearted. He said, He's heard my prayer. Listen to Spurgeon again. Weeping is the eloquence of sorrow. So there is a relief that comes in your life and in my life simply when we realize that God has heard me. We see this temporally with our relationships with other people. That if I feel burdened down and I go over and I talk to Micah, I can immediately feel relief. There's a problem, you see. Micah's not God. And so if I don't realize that, I'll try to make Micah God and try to realize the person that I must cry to first and foremost is the God who can turn towards me and change my situation. Not only change my situation, but give me a renewed confidence of the pain. Somebody's got to take away this pain in here. So he says, Lord's heard my prayer. Remember, he's promised he would. What does that look like? Well, let's flip back over to Psalms 51. And let's just look at a couple verses. What does prayer, this prayer look like? What's the prayer of the brokenhearted that brings this change, this confidence? Psalms 51, look at verse 4. Against you and you only have a sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You see what he's done? He's acknowledged his sin before a holy God. The God, you're just and I am sinful. Look down at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. God, I'm, you are holy and I am not. I have sinned. Forgive me. Wash me. Take away this sin, Lord. This ever before me. Take it away. Verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And he did not despise it. He, re- he not only heard it. This implies action when God hears something. He answers it. He accepts it. Look at verse 9. The Lord accepts my prayer. I love that word. You see that word accepted? You know what that means? It means to take possession of something. It's awesome. Now think about this. Think this through, this picture. Take the the sin that's in your life or take the pain of someone that has sinned against you. And you've got it here in your hand. This is the picture. David said, I cried out to the Lord. I gave it to him. He took it. It's his now. That pain, that guilt, that shame, he, I, I laid it there, he took it, it's gone, it's his. That's the basis of his confidence. This grace had penetrated into the depths of the anguish of his soul and restored his joy in the Lord that promises to be faithful to his children. And he has. This causes something in David's life, you see. Psalms 30, look at Psalms 30. Look at verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have... Now, look at this picture. For you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. 
Oh Lord, you have brought up my soul from the Sheol, from the grave. You restored me to life. And among those who have gone down to the pit, verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, all you saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen. Biblically, we cannot rip Psalms 30, verse 5 out of the Bible and think we can get our joy without repentance. It will not come. It will elude you. Because God has the means for His joy and it is when His children cry out in their, their dependence that they cannot rescue themselves that He rescues them. And all the glory goes to Him. David's confidence was renewed because God had not only heard him, he had heeded his cry. And it leads to this third declaration. The Lord will do what is right. You see that? To be able to say that and that really be true in your life, there has to be peace. There has to be forgiveness. God has to actually remove something that was causing the pain for you to say, well, the Lord will do what's right. That's what he says. You see, that began in verse 8. When he cried out all of a sudden, depart from me, you workers of evil. You see, when God repents, when he rescues from that thing, you don't want to have nothing to do with that thing. Because, see, that sin in you, to you, has caused a separation in your relationship with the Lord. And that's where the joy is. I'm going to remove it, so I want it to be gone from me. Whether it is walking in the counsel of the ungodly or playing around with my own sin. It says, depart from me. This is the effect. And it causes this response. Well, the Lord's going to do what's right. Notice this. Verse 3, he asked, how long? Now, now in verse 10, we say, they'll be put to shame in a moment. The turn, verse 4, turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. Now he says, my enemies, they shall turn back. Something's happened here. There's a renewed confidence that, that is here. Here's what we know. If God can remove the guilt and shame that's in here, I know he can deal with those people out here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them to him. This is why Matthew 5 verse 43 tells us to bless those who persecute us. Be good to those who despitefully use us. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches us the more we're, we're, we're leaned on, the more we love. Heap coals on their head. But here's what we're saying. The Lord's going to do what's right. Here's the sobering truth this morning. He will do what's right. He's told us what that will look like. Luke 13. The Lord promises us to do not only what's right, with those who reject him, but those who have received him both as Lord and Savior. Look at verse 22, Luke 13. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. 
Verse 25, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and taught in your streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all workers of evil. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom. But you yourselves cast out. And the people will come. It's a promise. And the people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and recline at the table in the presence of the kingdom of God. Behold, some are last who will be first and some who are first will be last. If the Lord will do what is right by you and by the world, should this not drive our evangelism? Should this not free us up? Listen, whatever you have to do in your life and in your marriages and with your families to do the hard work of repentance, it is worth it because this is not just about you today. It's about them. Do you see where the them are headed? Could it be that we don't evangelize because we have not dealt with our own sin? Because it's clear in David's life that when God forgives you, when God grants your prayers, He gives you a new song that you will proclaim to the nation so that they might trust Him. So what is repentance? Well, if you ask me, and if I ask you, you probably should say, and I probably would say, repentance is a change of mind and direction. But I hope you've seen this morning as we sort of flew down into repentance and looked around a little bit. I just want you to see three things that I hope you've seen it. We're not done with repentance. But at least these three things this morning. Repentance is an acknowledgement of our inability to rescue ourselves both from our sins and the sinful effects of other people. In other words, listen, this is what I'm saying. Repentance is not a one and done thing. Repentance is simply the life of a believer. We have not stopped sinning. And you know, other people have not stopped sinning against you. And so, since that has not come to an end, and it won't come into an end until we're in His presence, then we must walk in repentance. This is a lifestyle. Repentance is a lifestyle for a believer. We are continually admitting, I'm unable to rescue myself, and I'm unable to stop them from throwing rocks at me. Confession. It's a confession of our faith that God will give us relief. God will take up your cause. Only through the blood of Christ. But He wills a confession. My faith is in the Lord. This guilt and shame that I feel... He's paid for it at the cross, and so I'm not going to carry it one more day. It's also a declaration of God's promises, of God's compassion, His commitment to His covenant promises. To all those who, who are repenting and are putting their faith in Jesus, He's got a declaration that we can declare that God has entered into a covenant with us, and He never breaks His word. Do you believe that this morning? 
Do you believe that despite your sin, that despite your failures, and despite their sin, and despite their failures, that the Lord intends to restore you, that I might worship Him and enjoy Him, and that you might worship and enjoy Him? Do you truly believe that that's God's intentions? How do I know I believe? Look at your life. Are you holding on to the sin in your own life or the life of someone else from last week or 20 years ago? Then that says something about what you believe. The Lord encourages us this morning to look at the cross to give it to Him. I skipped a verse. I wanted you to see it. I did it intentionally. Psalm 6, verse 5. This is at the heart of what he wants restored. Remember verse 4, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life for the sake of your steadfast love. Look at verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of you in Sheol who will praise you. Here's what he's saying. God, if I die from this, and this is real, he felt like he was dying. He said, God, if I die from this, who will praise you? I can't praise you from that coffin. So restore me, heal me, so that I might worship. And when I do, I will worship you in the presence of my enemies. He said, I live to worship God, so let me live. Psalms 40. I had a different text. But as I was reading this book, I seen this scripture. This is the purpose of reading good books. It points us to... God's word. Psalms 40. This is my encouragement for you this morning. Is to wait patiently. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Out of the miry bog. And set my feet. Upon a rock. Making my steps secure. Look what, He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Do you see that? This is not just about you this morning. This is about other people putting their trust in the Lord. Our suffering is producing an eternal weight of glory in the lives of those who watch us suffer. So we put ourselves and we wait patiently for the Lord to rescue us. But more importantly, the point here is that he wants to be rescued so that he might worship. And you see, repentance is a gift. It's a gift. It's not just a punishment of, a, of an angry God. It's the extravagant love of a good father who loves us. And so he disciplines us so that we may be more like him and that the watching world will see that we have faith, something greater than ourselves or that anything this life has to offer. It's a quote from someone anonymous that says, The Lord would have his children happy in his love, restful under the shelter of his wings, and peaceful in the midst of the storms. Do you trust him?
Lord, this is our prayer that we, this is our question that we ask in our own life. And our declaration, Lord, is that we do trust you. We have and are placing our faith in you alone for our salvation. But Lord, we don't trust you as we should. And so even in that, Lord, we repent and say, Lord, do what you must in our life only that we would find our joy and our delight in you. Lord, give us a song, a new song this morning that transcends the troubles of our today. That puts our life, allow our eyes to peer over the fence and to see the glory that awaits. Lord, thank you that we do not have to wait for eternal life then that you have given to it now. That we might know you and that we might make you known. Lord, we can't do that when we're in the pit of despair. We can't do that when depression gets us and locks us in our room. So Lord, may we repent and be restored so that we might worship. And so now, Lord, we ask you to receive our worship, receive our repentance, and hear our pleas. Though they may be many in the room going up to you, you hear them all. May we worship you now in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, stand us and worship you.